Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. In his book, Science and Human Behavior, B.F. Skinner started in Section 1 with the title, The Possibility of a Science of Human Behavior. And the question that he asked in Chapter 1 is, can science help? And then the first subheading is titled The Misuse of Science. Now, I didn't know B.F. Skinner, and I feel very fortunate to have had the advantage uh, to live and learn from his legacy and to find a science based off of his studies, which has propelled me into a profession and a lifestyle that has been life-changing not only for me, but for anybody else who comes into contact with me, essentially. But can science help followed by the subheading of the misuse of science speaks to me in the way that I think of who I think Skinner might have been and what I mean by that is he starts by an operational definition so if we want to know if science can help we have to first define science and we have to look at how science has been used and we have to look at it in relation as a function of of the environment or or a function of its impact on the environment. So before we can determine if science can help, we must define it. Then we must talk about its intended use and we must talk about its misuse. We look at the history of the reinforcers and the punishers at play before we can even get to the place of just operationally defining and then determining where we're at, uh, where we're at and whether or not we agree here. So science is also something that's seen as corrective. And Skinner goes on to talk about this in that same section of, uh, you know, can science help? And what that means is it's here to answer questions you didn't have the answer to. And by the nature of that, it can be seen as enlightening or it can be seen as very frightening. Um, and we do not need to retreat <laughs> and and look at things or hypothesize things in such a way where we attribute mentalistic or we personify inanimate objects to give characteristics to them so that we can understand something that science has already explained. And, you know, Skinner went on to talk about how the information is there, but it may be perceived differently because of its threat to freedom. Um, That's one of the things he talked about in this chapter was the threat. There's difficulty, he says. The application of the science to human behavior is not so simple as it seems. Most of those who advocate it are simply looking for the facts. To them, science is little more than careful observation. They want to evaluate human behavior as it really is rather than as it appears to be through ignorance or prejudice. And then they want to make effective decisions and move on rapidly to a happier world. But the way in which science has been applied in other fields shows that something more is involved. Science is not concerned with just getting the facts after which one may act with greater wisdom in an unscientific fashion. Science supplies its own wisdom. It leads to a new conception of a subject matter, a new way of thinking about that part of the world to which it itself has addressed to which it has addressed itself. If we are to enjoy the advantages of science in the field of human affairs, we must be prepared to adopt a working model of behavior to which a science will inevitably lead. But very few of those who advocate the application of scientific method to current problems are willing to go that far. 
Skinner goes on to talk about science as being more than just the description of an event. It's more about an attempt of how the world operates and what the relationship is between individuals and their environment. And I think that's where we get into the discussion about determinism. Here in chapter one of this book, of this text with Skinner's, we, we look at the the idea that the world is lawful and orderly, that there is rhyme and reason to what occurs. Not that everything happens for a reason in that sort of spiritual way, but more of like A, you know, happened and then B, then C, and B occurred as a result of A, or at least temporally came after A, uh, that first event. So Skinner talks a lot about science as being something that challenges the status quo. It can be very unnerving to believe that the earl you know the earth is is flat and then to learn that the earth is round it undoes everything that you base a lot of your decisions and determinations on and that's one of the scariest things about philosophic doubt i think you know to the the human beings inside of all of us scientists here is like we are expected to be flexible and fluid we are supposed to follow the data and go in the direction in which it tells us we are not allowed to be stuck in any one way of doing things and we're not allowed to be rooted in routine over research. And that is very scary and I think is a lot about what Skinner is talking about when he mentions the threat to our freedoms that science possesses. He says this possibility is offensive to many people. It is opposed to a tradition of long standing which regards man as a free agent whose behavior is the product not of a specifiable antecedent conditions, but of spontaneous inner things, inner changes, of course. Prevailing philosophies of human nature recognize an internal will, which has the power of interfering with our causal relationships and which makes the prediction and control of behavior impossible. To suggest that we abandon this view is to threaten many cherished beliefs, to undermine what appears to be a stimulating and productive conception of human nature. The alternative point of view insists upon recognizing coercive forces in human conduct, which we may prefer to disregard. It challenges our aspirations, either worldly or otherworldly, regardless of how much we stand to gain from supposing that human behavior is the proper subject matter of a science. No one who is a product of Western civilization can do so without a struggle. We simply do not want such a science. There's incredible amounts of information to be obtained in one to two chapters, let alone multiple paragraphs or multiple pages and multiple books and multiple volumes of thoughts that we um, have the privilege of getting a glimpse into because they were written down by scientists such as B.F. Skinner. Where would our science be without such a man? Um, it wouldn't be where it is today. And really, I think if Skinner were asked that question, he would say, you know, it would depend on the history of reinforcement and, and punishment and consequences and the environment, right? Give me a child and I can shape him into anything. What will the environment conduce? What will it produce? And so it goes back to that whole idea of find a need and fill a need, right? See what exists out there as a problem, as something that needs solving, that requires solutions and brainstorming. And then see if you can strategize at how to achieve the outcomes that you're looking for. 
B.F. Skinner did a lot of work in laboratories. He did a lot of work in uh, contrived situations and in these other analog settings and conditions. But he also took that same scientific lens into the classroom when he went and did observations of his of his children and of their teachers and talked about some of the systemic changes and talked about the science behind the struggle of impacting change, uh, human behavior change, in addition to any applications that he tried to achieve in the animal laboratory. If you want to learn more information about Skinner, I think a great resource is the B.F. Skinner Foundation, um, as well as the Cambridge Center for Behavioral Studies. And to learn more about applied behavior analysis or me and the work that I do, you can check me out at www.behaviorbabe.com.